Welcome to the CND podcast in association with activists. Activists are proud to have been manufacturing in the UK for over 175 years. I'm here with former RPS president and LPN chair for London, Ash Sony. Thanks very much for joining me, Ash. My pleasure. So, first of all, just um, kind of reflecting on your time at the RPS, what would you say the main challenges were when you started almost exactly two years ago yeah. um, to, to the challenges facing the RPS now? I think they, they, they don't really change. There's still the, the, the need for seeing greater recognition of the role that pharmacists can play. Um, there's no doubt it is improving. There's no doubt there's greater recognition of the role and the professional aspects of care that pharmacists can provide. However, it still seems to be an afterthought rather than at the forefront of people's mind. And I think for the RPS, it still needs to continue to build the, the case as to why pharmacists are so important to providing high-quality care and helping patients to get the most from their medicines in a way that probably isn't still, still isn't seen in the way that we want it to happen. Hmm. And um, over the years, we've, we've seen you speak at many different events with different health professionals, you know, people from the RCGP. Do you feel that um, the relationship between pharmacists and other health professionals, and indeed the different um, bodies, has improved over the years? Oh, there's no doubt. There's definitely, it definitely is improving, because what we're seeing is that there is greater recognition within, within those organisations and also within individuals about the changes that need to happen. What we don't see is it consistently across the whole system, and that's the bit in a way that we have to continue to do. And maybe part of that is I don't think necessarily we've possibly got it as well embedded with patients and the public as we need to. We've probably done a good job with our health professionals. Mm. We still need to do more, and we still need to do more with government because we've had a, a former Prime Minister now mm. um, turn around and say that we're not frontline staff. But actually, generally, I'd say that our relationship with key organisations, professional organisations and professionals, is much, much better. But I do think there's a big piece of work that we need to do, particularly with the public, to better understand what skills a pharmacist has that they're able to utilise to, the, to their benefit. Hmm. And in, in your view, what would be the, the best way about you know, going about that and improving that relationship? I think to a certain extent, it's about the, what, what we do. Um, it's about being able to see consistency of service. It's being able to see pharmacists continually providing this type of care but at the same time also probably working more closely with some of the patient groups mm. asthma uk diabetes uk patient Vo- national voices patient association these type of organizations and helping them to ha- to help us to be able to get the message about much more effectively about what we could do as pharmacists to help the people that are members of their organisations to get better quality care. And I think once you do that and the expectation changes, then I would expect to be in a position where I would really we need to get to a point where, as a member of the public, they come into a pharmacy or come to anywhere to stay, they come into contact with a pharmacist and say, I expect... So can you help me with? Whereas at the moment it's still very much a, well, how long is it going to take to do my prescription? There still isn't this recognition of this greater role that we can play. And you mentioned just then new Prime Minister, new health team, although the Secretary of State is remaining. Um, do you think that could have an impact on the cuts and other challenges that the sector's facing? Do you have an I, d- I, I, I really don't know. And I, I suppose in some ways... It's become even less clear because the assumption was that announcement was going to be made on the uh, implementation of the contract yeah. two or three weeks ago, and now we still haven't heard anything. We don't know when it's going to come, mm. and I have no idea. And I think a lot of people don't have any idea of that. So it's very difficult to assess whether all the things that have been going on have managed to make a difference in terms of what will happen. I sincerely hope they have listened because I do think that 
what we tr all try to do is to demonstrate that actually taking the money away isn't the right thing to do. You might want to put the money in different ways, but you need to recognise that pharmacists have a role to play. And actually you need to invest in that, not take money away from the system. It gives two different messages. You take money away and say, well, we want you to do more. They just don't, they're, they're conflicting. And how, how as, a, as, a, as a professional or as a, as a human being would you turn around and say, well, that's great, take money away from me and I'll do more for you? It just isn't the way that you think and your morale is, is affected by that. So I think there is, there's a really important message for the, minister, for the minister and for the prime minister and for government to hear that if you want farms to do more, which it does, then you have to recognise how you invest in it, not deprive of resource. Hmm. Um, and when they were consulting on the cuts, do you think that they, the ministers, um, the Department of Health, involved um, pharmacy, um, you know, the RPS, Pharmacy Voice, all the different pharmacy bodies, do you think they were listened to enough? Did they have enough of a, a, you know, enough of a say and a seat at the table? I think, I think we were given a lot of opportunity to, to be involved. I think, as I suspect they themselves would say, there was a lot of learning because I think that historically the negotiation has gone directly with PSNC and I think their assumption was that PSNC would share more information with the other bodies and, um, and that some of that happened, some didn't because of the way again that the, the, they, they, PSNC itself has operated as a responsibility for mm. negotiation you don't do that in public generally mm. so, but I think as I say, I think there's been learning in it I think they've involved us to a great extent I think there's more they could do, I think there's more that we need to involve Probably which comes from doing it before you make the announcement. Because actually, to turn around and say, oh, by the way, we're taking 6%, now let's talk to you about how we're going to do it, mm -hmm. is the wrong way around. Whereas if you came and talked to pharmacy and said, how do we make things better? What can we do collaboratively to improve care? And how do we utilise pharmacy and pharmacists more effectively? You could have a completely different discussion. Mm. And do you think that the contribution of um, the pharmacy bodies, I know in, in your case RPS, do you think it will have an effect on the cuts, you know, whether they'll go through or how they could kind of, you know, make them a little bit less damaging. I th I, uh, and again, I, as I say, I don't know what's happening with the cuts. Mm. I, uh, my sincere hope still is that they may decide they will, that rather than implementing the cut, they will move some of the money, instead of necessarily putting it into the dispensing contract, they, they pay more for clinical care. Now, if we retain the money within pharmacy, I think that's great and actually what we should be doing. And I think the RPS has been very key in particularly promoting the profession and the capability the profession has, which is, and being able to do that in a way which, which is independent, I suppose, because we don't have that potential perceived conflict mm. of being the owners and therefore the people that the money comes to. Um, some of us are, people like me are an owner, but at the same time, I think as an organisation, we've been much clearer in saying, actually, let's focus on what does good quality care look like and how can we enable pharmacists to do that and what does that require to change to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that we have had an influence. And I think if you look at the documents they've used as part of the discussions, they've used things like Now or Never, they've used the documents the RPS has been producing and is utilising them to be able to try and develop improved, improved systems of care. Uh, you know, even if, the, if you look at stuff around pharmacists working with GPs, and I know they've been focused on pharmacists in GPs, but actually the pharmacists with GPs is demonstrating how much more pharmacists can do in supporting general practice and care that's provided within, within and without that setting. Given where we were and given what, what was done, I think we did 
as much as we could. Mm. And I think the fact is the fact that we were able to get Alistair Burt to come to my pharmacy to be able to see what we deliver. Mm. Those type of things are really important because actually we were able to show him for in a real way what we did, how it works, what that difference that makes and why. And therefore what the consequence of this could be. And I'm sure he had similar discussions he had in, with his own local pharmacy with other people. We're very much the same thing. I suppose there was the one thing, it's like anything, that you could always do something better. And I suppose what we probably could do, could do better would be that we'd be much quicker and much fleeter of foot in coming together as organisations to look at what we would do as a strategy to be able to address the potential risk of a cut mm. and what we might be able to do in terms of being able to work with the public to be able to be stronger as advocates earlier on, mm. not just through the petition but also just through the voice of patients being able to go and talk to their MPs, going into um, uh, GP sur- um, uh, MP surgeries mm. and saying, well, I've heard you know about these changes to, to pharmacy. I'm really worried because it'll have an impact on me. Or, and these, I think, again, those messages, if we'd been able to do that at, a quicker, at an earlier time, may have been, would have been better. Whether we've achieved what we need to achieve, as I say, I don't know. I hope we have. But regardless, whatever happens, this pressure will continue to grow in terms of because the pressure on the NHS as a whole is growing. So the expectation and demand and time will continue to grow. But I do think we need to much, as I say, work much more closely with patients and be in a position where we've, we've almost been prepared to think about what they may do, what, what the government may want to have happen, and be able to dis- have that discussion with them prior to an announcement, which means that actually, rather than getting a letter on December 17th, what would happen, there would have been discussions between all the organisations with the Department of Health and NHS England at an earlier point, and then at the end of it to have come to a conclusion which would have been hopefully about how and what you'd see as distribution of the contractual, fra- contractual funding framework in a different way. You mentioned how um, pharmacists really engaged with their local MPs and kind of built those relationships up. Would you kind of argue that this, even though it was obviously a, a disastrous announcement for the sector in December, it's kind of really kind of pushed people to get to know their local MP, show them what they can do in a way that maybe they weren't doing before? Absolutely, and I think, and I think that's it's, out, it's the usual, out of adversity, do, you know, other things grow, and I think mm. this is an example of that. Regardless, uh, and I know, I know historically I talked about you know people getting to know who their uh, local councillors were, who their MPs were, who was the chair of the CCG, and I think all of these things, hopefully one of the things that's emerged out of this is that people have thought actually it's become really important, and to be recognised, to be engaging with those key decision makers, whoever you are, and it's not just somebody else's job to do it, actually it's mine, mm. wherever I'm practising, I'm the one that has the relationship with somebody at local level. So I know my MP if he happens to be my patient. I happen to know my counsellor if he happens to be my patient. And I should use that to be able to create and be able to talk to them about what I can offer and about how we could work better together and be able to engage probably in more discussion and more um, collaboration in the way those discussions happen at an earlier point. So it again avoids this type of situation happening where people, before anything even emerges, you're going, whoa, hang on a minute, what are you doing? You know, we all think this is a great place to be. I really value my pharmacy. I really value my pharmacist. You can't do anything with that. In the same way as we've seen with general practice. If you look at the investment that's potentially being made in general practice mm-hmm. for the next five years, that's on the basis because they, they, they made a lot about it. But actually at the same time, was patients going, yeah, these GPs are far too overworked. We need to do more to help them. And what happened? The system adapted for that. Mm. And what was your reaction to the investment in general practice? Because I know a few people kind of, it jarred a little bit in terms of what's 
what's happening in the pharmacy world. What, what was going to be your take? And, I, and, I, it's, uh, and at the moment, it's still very difficult to tell because when I talk to GPs, their view is, oh, yeah, it's just smoke and mirrors. It's just moving money around the system. It's not really new money. And so, and I don't understand enough about the GP contract to understand how and what it, it's doing. Is it doing? Is it really investing new money, or is it just is it just moving money around? However, yeah, it does jar because actually there's a whole element of this which is saying, hey, we think GPs are great. Well, you've also said that primary care as a whole is, is great and, and really important to create change. And therefore, you need to invest in all of it, not just one bit of it. And I think there is an element of actually recognising the important role that pharmacy and community pharmacy particularly plays as part of pr- the primary care team and working with general practice to be able to deliver the outcomes we want. And I just wanted to ask you as well about... Um Alistair Burt, who visited your pharmacy, yes. um, there was a real kind of outpouring of thanks to him on Twitter when when he was kind of when he moved out from the Department of Health. What was kind of your impression of him? Do you, do you think he got the sector? Do you think he was a strong advocate um, for the pharmacy sector? Yeah, actually, strange enough, I think I think when he started, it's a bit like any minister. Mm. When you get given a job, you don't necessarily know very much about it. Mm. Um, I remember the same conversation with Judith Smith when she was doing Now and Ever. She turned around and said, "When I started, I had no idea what pharmacy could do." When I finished, I knew everything farmers could do. And <laughs> hey, you do a lot, people, and you need to, need to recognise it. Yeah. And I think with Alistair, it was very similar in the in the sense that when he started, he'd been advised, he had the information that come into him, and whether that information was good, bad, indifferent, doesn't matter. It was all he had. But what he was able to do by coming out and being able to come and talk, he himself utilised going to the pharmacy. He himself uses um, being able to ha- ask those type of questions. How does this feel? What's it like? Actually, what he showed was an empathy with the with the sector and the recognition that the prof, that the profession was hurting. And actually, it, what was really interesting was that his his understanding that actually the risk was that the way it was being delivered. He described it himself. He said, "The risk with the way we, we're looking at doing this is that the ones that are doing the best will hurt the hardest, and those that are performing the least but are most easily are more easily able to absorb it. And therefore, what we do is we protect the worst, not the best." And so I think he was very aware of the risk that they carried, and I think he'd become much more aware of the fact that somehow or another there needs to be recognition that community pharmacy could make a massive difference to care, and he felt that he could help that to happen. And I think it's a real loss to lose him. And I'd say the same that previous. I think that's one of the things I'd say is that the ministers we've had, once they get to understand what they're ministers of and what we can do, they become much more powerful advocates. I suspect our problem is not getting to early enough and be able to get to them maybe before they become a minister and maybe looking at preparing someone who may be the next minister. And I have no idea who that will be after Alistair. Mm. But if we could try and target the people that we think are likely, now's the time to start to talk to them. So by the time they get in there, they know much more about it and, again, are much more likely to start as an advocate rather than having to learn to be an advocate. Yeah, rather than learning on the job, they've already got the knowledge. Exactly. And in a way, that goes back to your original, your your previous question about, you know, getting to know your local MP. Well, Mm. actually, if you're talking to your local MP, one of them is likely to be this minister. Regardless. It might be yours that you happen to talk to. So, again, recognise the opportunity, whoever that MP is, to spend time, explain to them what you do, showing them what you can do, offering them some of those services. So if they, it is them. They're there and ready and learnt. And um, you've kind of touched on it a little bit, but what would you like to see the priorities of, of the new core team in the DHB? What would you want them to focus on? Well, I think they need to recognise that supply is an important part of what we do, however you do it. Mm. Delivering a billion scripts is hugely difficult and requires uh, a level of care that actually community pharmacy has done for years and years and years. 
and they talk about automation. Automation's great, but automation's only as good as the the, the, the input into the into the machine. You know, I've had discussions with organisations that do some of these machines, and the error rates that they uh, they talk about are the finished product, which is not different, not that dissimilar then to what we get in um, community pharmacy. There's an error. There's a um, an element of they the errors are made or potential errors are made by machines, but they're stopped because the human then inspects them, and that's no different to what you get in community pharmacy where you prepare the medication, but then it's checked and before it goes out. And, the error rates we know drop quite dramatically during the process, and the same will happen with automation. There may, there is, there is no doubt that, that automation does flatten um, error curves because it, it's consistent, mm. does the same thing at the same time. But if it makes a mistake, it makes the same mistake every time as well. So it's in some yeah. ways there's, there's two there's, there's you know, counterbalance to that. Um, so I think there's a need to recognise that, but also then to recognise that alongside that, the supply function dispensing is much broader. It's not just the supply function, it's the clinical check. It's ensuring it's appropriate for the patient. I think they need to look at how they can support pharmacists to spend more time with patients about utilising their medicines, to be able to help them to optimise medicines. And at the same time, I believe there's a really important piece to be built around pharmacists as prescribers. In the long term, pharmacists should be managing long-term conditions. And actually, GPs should take on and do... Doctors should do what doctors are best at, which is diagnosing what's wrong. And then let somebody else who has the right appropriate skills pick up what they can do. It's right whether, whether it's a level of complexity that requires constant intervention by a medic, continue to do it. But where you can see that that responsibility can go on, in the same way as they've done with nurses, it's no different to using a pharmacist. But the pharmacist, again, in this case, is a prescriber based in a, based in a community pharmacy setting or based somewhere else, based in the community, could be based in a, in, in a care home. Mm. I don't really care in that sense because it's the it's the it's the relationship with the pharmacist, but the community pharmacy itself is a hub point for it. In the same way as a GP practice is a hub for the system, a community pharmacy is a hub for the system and a hub for people. Because and if you take away the the hub for people, what do they have left? Mm. You lose that personal touch. And medicine and health are personal. However, you may automate it. At the end of the day. When it comes down to your health, it's about you or me. It's not about everybody else. We talk about population health, but when it really matters, it comes back to me. And when that happens, I want somebody to talk to. I want to know and have confidence in what I do. So alongside supply is very much this clinical support care. And recognising that pharmacists can do much more, recognising pharmacy can do much more, and actually saying, looking at what GPs do, and saying what do GPs no longer need to do, and what should they allow pharmacists to do instead. Mm. And in some areas it seems that's being done very well. Are you confident that that, that kind of approach could be widespread in a few years to come? I think there are real opportunities. If you look at some of the new models of care, um, particularly the primary care home model, which has been developed by the National Association of Primary Care, that model is very much based on this movement of, of, of care being done mm. and being de- developed, developed in this way. And actually, the more we see that, the more we see effectiveness in change, the more it's likely to happen. And I think one of the other things I would say is that what's really important with, the, with things like the integration fund, 
that they use it as integration. They don't use it for disintegration. Mm. So using it to create new jobs for new pharmacists is mm. the wrong thing to do. It should be used to create integration within the system. So enabling pharmacy and pharmacists to be able to work more effectively within the care setting, using community pharmacists, using pharmacists based in GP practices, using pharmacists in care. I don't, again, because different places will use different models. But at the end of the day, it's about how you integrate that with hospital, with everywhere else. So that for the patient, they get all the best care all of the time on a continuous basis. And actually, we're able to deliver that. And I think the integration fund should be seen almost as a, uh, a test in the same way a Vanguard, that they've used other Vanguards, yeah. to say, we've tested the model, it works, we've got the evaluation, which proves it works, now let's see this model rolled out across the country. Because, hey, that's what new models of care is about. Mm. And do you think at the moment the sector does kind of view itself as being quite separate? Because you mentioned hospital pharmacists, community pharmacists. Do you think then there does need to be a cohesion between all these different kind of subsections? I, absolutely. And it's one of the things, again, I've said is that, you know, we're, we are the third biggest profession. Hmm. Pharmacists are the third biggest profession. But we don't behave that way. No. Because we have community, we have hospital, we have primary care, we have now we have pharmacists and GPs, now we have pharmacists. Mm. So all of a sudden we talk about all these different groups, but actually we're all pharmacists. Yeah. And the more we talk consistently about us all being pharmacists, the better it is. And one of the things I am determined we stop doing is using the terms clinical pharmacist, community pharmacist. All pharmacists are clinical, and all pharmacists in all settings should be regarded as clinical. The fact they're in a different place doesn't mean they're not they're doing that job. And I think if we can embed that and we can recognise how we work collaboratively together, then we will achieve far more. And I think one of the key roles for the Royal Pharmaceutical Society is to be that glue almost in the network of people that mm. we currently probably aren't seeing as well as we could. So do you think it should be a priority of the incoming RPS president, Martin Asprey, yeah. um, as announced of, of today? Yes. Um, you know, what, what do you think he's going to bring to the table and what do you think his priorities will be? I don't think you'll have to talk to Martin because obviously I, don't, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen his election statement or anything. Mm. But I sincerely hope the conversations I've had with Martin, always have had with Martin, have been that he will see this and will mm. continue to advocate on how we build this, the, these elements. Um, I think he, there, are, uh, there, are other con- there are concerns that we, he, he needs to deal with as well. You know, some of the stuff around rebalancing. Yeah. We haven't seen the, the rules with the inadvertent dispensing errors. Hmm. Uh, that hasn't been implemented yet. We need to see that happen. I hope he's going to do that as well. And we see the same thing for hospital pharmacists. Hmm. But actually, yeah, I do think and I hope one of the key things he sees as part of his presidency for the next year is to see how much more he can build in terms of that collaborative nature across the profession which demonstrates how we act as a single profession in the best interests of the patients and the public we are there to serve. Mm. And kind of in terms of the, the decision made at RPS yeah. to kind of switch things up in terms of the pre- president, was that something that you that was a surprise to you or, or was it um, like how was that made because I think from the outside it, it's quite unclear. yeah and I've, uh, yes uh, and I can say I was surprised um, mm. I wasn't expecting it to happen quite the way it did mm. uh, I was disappointed mm. um, I'm quite sad not to be able to at least contest the presidency yeah um, uh, but the organization has made a decision it's made and uh, at the end of the day you know I, I, I must the one thing I, I value probably more than anything else is the fact the, the, the messages of goodwill and support I got from the membership which I thought were astonishing hmm. uh, were overwhelming and from a personal point of view I can't I can't ask for any more um, I think that what I heard was uh, was made me feel that I was doing the right things and I hope the organisation continues to do that and hopefully, and maybe in the future, I'd come back and look at doing something similar with the organisation or doing it in a different way. 
because mm. in, a, in a way I suppose that one of the things I've said to people since is that actually what I do I'll continue to do it doesn't change the fact was that president was another was a title which helped me to get through certain doors and in certain cases I took the title in mm. but regardless I think the role for me or for anyone else out there is to continue to advocate strongly on behalf of the profession to recognize the pharmacists and the capabilities of the pharmacists we have out there and to continue to promote their capability as we go forward. What's going to, what are your media plans going to be now? Well, I'm going to have another holiday. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, actually, uh, again, it's interesting. I've had a meeting this morning with um, London about, because I'm the, I'm the local professional network yep. chair for London, and looking at probably how I can, at this moment in time, uh, increase the amount of work I'm doing with the STPs uh, and um, with the urgent emergency care networks to look at how and what we can do potentially at scale in London mm. uh, to be able to deliver change and actually see whether some of the things we've talked about, some of the discussion we've just had, mm. can I now take them from th- thought and starting to implement to st- actually being part of the advocacy for implementation in a, uh, in a scale hopefully across the whole of London. Mm. Fantastic. Well, I'm sure all the all the CID readers will join me in wishing you the best of luck. Thank you. And thank you very much for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you.